0: I want to dive into God's word today. But before we get going, if you could think of, think with me of some of the most epic movies, you know, and think about the climax scenes of those movies. And my guess is, as you think of them, maybe a a war movie or a battlefield scene, or or as you think of a superhero movie, or man, even a, a Disney princess movie, What often happens in those is there is a world of loud sounds and bright lights and explosions and epic fight scenes and and movement and action. But it's interesting to me when you come to the morning that changed everything, the morning where the son of God rose from the dead, the picture seems different. You might expect that kind of description and I'm positive if Steven Spielberg or J.J. Abrams or George Lucas were writing the script to any of this, it probably would have all of the the lights and the action. But when God speaks through human authors to tell the story of his son rising from the dead, I want you to hear what that sounds like. So I wanna begin reading in John chapter 20 and verse one. It says this, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. We, we believe this to be John. And, and she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. But then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and and the face cloth, which had been laid on Jesus' head. But it was not lying with the linen cloths, but it was just folded up in a place by itself. You can read the story. As a matter of fact, you can read four accounts of it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can see how each of the accounts include details of the story. Not just wowing you with like special effects, but, but real details, real human details. And you can read this and get the data of what happened. And that's critical. That's critical. Just to be clear, the resurrection of Jesus has never been presented as a parable or a fable. Something with, you know, spiritual meaning, but really no real world real life implications. It's not just a metaphor for new beginnings and springtime. It's not an inspirational story that comes out of Greek mythology from the beginning. The resurrection of Jesus has always been meant to be understood as real Each of the four accounts, including this one, are pointing you to some conclusions, some real life conclusions. It's it's prompting you to ask a question. And that question is this, what does it all mean? What does it really mean? Maybe you could, maybe you could right there in your home, say exactly what it all means. Maybe you would have a pages of what it all means. But I'm guessing for some of us, you may actually, that may be the question you are asking today. I mean, the music was powerful, but what does it all mean? The resurrection story, you're familiar with some of the contours of it, but what does it mean? Maybe you don't see all the connections. It's not that you don't believe, you just don't, I don't know, you don't get it. You don't get what the story means. So I'd like for you to see a couple of things that it means. And actually, we could be here all day, but fortunately for you, you can see exactly how long you're going to be here, how, exactly how long I'm going to talk. And you can be assured it's not going to barge into your lunch plans, all right? Here's one thing I want you to see. And that is the resurrection of Jesus means the relationship you can have with God through Jesus is personal. The relationship you can have with God through Jesus is personal. This story, if anything, it feels personal. I don't know about you, but the videos on YouTube that always get to me, 100% 100% of the time are the videos of a soldier or an airman or a sailor coming home. And there's something so personal about a mom and a son embracing or a, a dad and a son or a grandma or, and a daughter embracing. There's so much just emotion wrapped up in those meetings. And I think we're meant to, to go some places in John 20, not just observe the emotion, but with the stories in John 20, we're actually drawn in. We're meant to relate. We're meant to place ourselves there. It's personal. It's personal. We read of people like Peter. He's there. And we read of Mary more about her in just a moment. But for this morning, as we begin, can, can you look at this day through the eyes of John? He's the, he's the fast runner in the story. And he wants to make sure, you know, he got to the tomb first and I remember back in high school running track and I don't know, the older I get, the better I was. So I think I would want you to remember me being pretty fast. And so John tells us he was there at the tomb first. But it says this in verse eight of John 20. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, went in and he saw and he believed. He believed. What do you see when you look at him? There's, there's something he saw in that tomb that triggered faith. Something triggers belief in Jesus. And I, I don't think it was necessarily easy. I don't think he was just unusually gullible or naive. And that's why he believed. I don't think that at all. Maybe the obstacles for others weren't so big for him to believe. Maybe he had seen enough, heard enough. Maybe he had uh, understood enough to give his heart over to the fact that Jesus is alive. I don't think for John, this was just a blind leap, but, but I do believe it was a confident step. That's the way faith in Jesus has worked for some of you. You actually don't remember this deep, massive struggle on faith. You believe for a long time. Maybe you've never really had a ton of doubts. Maybe if we asked John, he could give you some cool explanation. Maybe it would all sound rational. I don't know. Maybe it would sound irrational to you. I, I don't know. But I think what he would say is, I just know he's alive. I just know it. I just know it. And the very real sense you get from John is that he believed not in a cause, but in a person. It was personal to him. Can we keep tracking with the story? Let's live in the story for a few moments, because I don't want you just to see it through the eyes of John. But I want you to see this story unfold through the eyes of Mary as well through the eyes of Mary. And if John is the fast runner, Mary is kind of the one lingering. The one who just can't leave. It had to be part of the reason why she just couldn't leave the tomb of Jesus had to be because we're told in the book of Luke that she did have a past. She actually had a past encounter with Jesus. When she first met Jesus, the Bible says that she had seven demons and he cast them out of her. I really, I don't know what label or category you might have for that now for talk of demons. But actually we all know people who might say are really facing their demons. I think we all have an idea of people whose life has become a vicious struggle, a cycle. People that are harming themselves and harming others to see their life as a wreck. People that don't seem just don't quite seem right. And it's, it's never really funny. It's, it's just heartbreaking. And for Mary, that's, that's what her life was before she encountered Jesus, a lot of pain and never much hope. And then she met Jesus and everything changed. So there, there she is, there she is at the tomb, but we're also told that she watched at the foot of the cross as Jesus was crucified. And that's significant because many of the, the men who were around Jesus all ran, but many of the women actually stayed. They heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. They heard Jesus say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mary Magdalene heard Jesus say, It is finished. What a good time for a quick detour and a reminder here, right? None of the encounters that first resurrection morning. None of those come as people are emotionally and mentally really stable and healthy. They are actually troubled. They're not at their best. This all comes right in the middle of some of the darkest days. They've been through the ringer, I think, emotionally. So there's something that happens when Emotionally, you're dealing with another stressor and another stressor. Even, even your body sends signals like, this is not okay. We can't, can't keep doing this. And physically, you would imagine that people like Mary Magdalene had some restless nights. Some nights they couldn't sleep, even between the time Jesus was crucified and the time he was risen. And spiritually, a lot of what they had believed in seems to have changed so they're settling into a very uncertain future, things they never expected to see. And they needed the help right then. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, everything is different for them. Don't, don't mishear what I'm saying. It doesn't mean everything was immediately easier or better for them. It actually, actually is harder in a lot of ways, but it is different in, in ways that will change eternity for them. My guess is that if you're watching this today, you might recently have not been at your best either. Actually, you may feel pretty low and confused and maybe uncertain and angry, depressed and frustrated. And all that may happen before breakfast. And and, and you're navigating these days of a world that's been turned upside down. And I just want you to realize as we read the resurrection stories, that's the backdrop for Jesus to become very real and very personal to a group of his followers. Because of resurrection, everything is different for the first disciples. Everything is different. Their lives will change. And I believe this season is doing something for us. In our lives, we are realizing that we need to turn to someone and things are going to be different for many from this time forward. So we recognize that. But but let's keep reading. In verse 10, it says, after this initial encounter where Peter and John came to the tomb, it says in verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary doesn't. Mary Magdalene doesn't. It's almost like she can't. She's holding on to something. She can't leave. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, why are you weeping? And she said to them, well, they've taken away my Lord. I think she's the first person to call Jesus her Lord. She says, I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus and he said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking supposing him to be the gardener she said to him sir if you've carried him away just tell me where you've laid him and i'll i'll, I'll take him away and jesus said to her mary she turned and said to him In Aramaic, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the father. But you go to my brothers and you say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. What do you see when you look at Mary in that first encounter? You have to see something personal. If Jesus' resurrection means that John is going to have faith, he's going to see and believe. It also means that Mary is going to have worship and devotion that will actually launch a mission. She's going to tell others what she's seen. This is so personal. I love so much about this encounter, but I think what I love the most is that one word changed Mary's life changed her eternity. And that one word was her name called out by Jesus or post-resurrection. What does it mean when Jesus calls your name after you watched him die, after you watched him get crucified? It means you are known and loved. It means that his love for you is not going to change, not even with death. It's not in the past. He is alive. Jesus had told his disciples, my sheep hear my voice. And I called them by name. And here he is on resurrection morning, calling one of his own by name. Think about it. Jesus knows my name. I have to tell you, that strikes me because I don't know that there's anybody really, really, really important that would even have a clue that I exist. You, you, You take all the famous people in the world. Do they even know I'm around? Do they even know I exist? But then there's one that this Easter morning knows me by name. I just wonder if a personal encounter with Jesus has fueled that kind of devotion for you. I wonder if your relationship with him has that same tone and same feel. I wonder if your relationship with Jesus kind of looks, doesn't quite have that warmth. Maybe it just seems like, well, I'm trying to do the best I can be the best version of myself every day that I can be. I wonder if your personal relationship with Jesus doesn't feel so personal. It's like you doing a lot of religious things, Trying to keep all the boxes checked. Yeah, did that, did that, did that. I wonder if your relationship with Jesus is, like you try to help out with the neighborhood, help out with the PTA, contribute to the United Way, do your part. I wonder if it's like this. Something real, something different. I know for Mary, it looked like tears. And for some of you, that is actually a really good picture of your relationship. For others, it may not be quite like that. It may just show itself in what you do, how you treat people, what you do to care for the needy. But it's because you're committed to a person named Jesus, the one who knows you by name. How could you not do what he said for you to do? How could you not do that? For many of you, it's just day after day after day, filled with humility and a deep gratitude that he knows me. He knows me. It's personal, isn't it? This is what it means. So if we're reading through John twenty, if it were kind of like a Blu-ray player, I'm gonna skip ahead past the scene on that first resurrection day when Jesus appeared to most of his disciples. I wanna skip to another scene because we got another personal encounter that I want you to see. So I'm gonna pick it up in verse 24 of John 20. It says, now Thomas, who was one of the 12, called the twin, he was not with them that first resurrection day When Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into His side, then I will never believe. But eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. You put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So scripture invites us to get like real personal again and see this through the eyes of Thomas. He has a label like doubting Thomas. I think he's just the honest questioner of the bunch. Maybe pessimistic a little bit. Do you see, do you see things through the eyes of Thomas? I just need to be sure, Jesus. I know others have said, but I I, I need to know this for myself. I I, I need to know this. And the first person that Jesus addresses when he goes into that room eight days later, the first person he addresses is Thomas. That has to tell you something. And he doesn't scold Thomas, but he does give an invitation like Thomas. Let's just walk this road toward faith. And he gives him more than a little nudge when he says, Thomas, don't disbelieve. You need to believe. You need to believe. So today you may have your questions and Jesus says, ask them and then believe Thomas had to wrestle through all of his questions and maybe even his doubts, his uncertainties. He had to wrestle those to the ground. He didn't shut it all down, but he listened to Jesus and Jesus acknowledges that Thomas gets a gift that you and I actually don't. We aren't going to have Jesus appear in our upstairs like bonus room in the same way right? That's not, that's not the promise we have, but we do have this promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whoever confesses with her mouth, believes in his heart, will be saved. By grace you're saved through faith, not of your own works, but it's a gift. Thomas had a personal encounter and it meant faith and it meant worship and it meant devotion. So what does this resurrection of Jesus mean Okay, it happened. What does it mean? It's something personal. It's not generic. It's personal for you. For just a moment, can you set yourself in the story? Maybe you're more like John. Maybe you're more like Mary. Maybe you're more like Thomas, or maybe you bring a unique set of things to the table. But a relationship with God through Jesus is going to be personal. That's the only kind that there really are. It's going to be personal. There's a host of things that are really important in your life that aren't that personal. If I can sign a contract and it doesn't really feel like I have a personal connection when I'm just signing a contract. When I got my first mortgage for a house, I signed my name and signed my name and signed my name, sign my name, sign my, my name, initial, initial, initial. And I didn't walk out of there thinking, well, wow, what a personal encounter. When I pay my taxes, it doesn't feel very personal. It's interesting to me. I mean, even the person that takes an oath to defend and protect the constitution of the United States they are pledging that and it's very important, but it's, it's to an idea, it's to a country. And you think of even you go to Independence Hall not far from here and you see people signing, you sign, they sign their name to something, but it was an idea, it was a country, it was a, it was a, a belief in a form of government. But this here, this, this walking with Jesus is personal. It's not a religion you find yourself born into. It's a person. At the end of the day, that's exactly where it is. It feels so personal. The resurrection of Jesus just has all these personal effects on us. And all these personal encounters would be amazing, but they would be all useless if they didn't last. So let's keep reading. In verse 30 of John 20, it says Jesus actually did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which aren't even written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing you may have permanently, you may have life in his name. If the resurrection of Jesus means something personal, it also means this. It means that the new life you can receive from God through Jesus is permanent, is permanent. There's an era of finality as John finishes this chapter. I'm writing this, and we're really not going to have to add a lot more to this. It is settled. It is permanent. All of the actions of Holy Week are are not going to need to happen again. Jesus isn't going to have to come back to this world and go to that old cross again, because more people have done done things wrong. He's not going to have to die for more sins. He's not going to have to rise from the dead more Sunday mornings there's an air of finality. The status change that the resurrection brings isn't going to be improved on. It's permanent. It's once for all. There won't be more scrolls that are going to teach like, God, oh, Jesus had some good things in his death and resurrection. Yeah, that was all important. And then, we, but we found this other scroll and now it tells us we got to do some other things. It's not going to work like that. It's not, it's not as if Jesus just got the ball rolling and then 300 years later, there's going to be this guy that comes along and that, that's not the way any of this works. It's permanent starting that first day, the meaning of the resurrection will never be undone and it'll never be taken away. Jesus is alive and his tomb will never be filled again. We have to know the permanency of that. And I think we just need to walk through just a couple of the implications of that, okay? So if it's permanent, then then we know this, all right? The Bible connects the work of Jesus with forgiveness. The work of Jesus with forgiveness. But if resurrection was just for a morning and Jesus died later anyway, could Jesus really help you with complete atonement, complete forgiveness? What if his life had ended again? And so how is he going to forgive into the future? But wait, he is alive. He's not dead. Not only is he alive, but he's now in heaven as a permanent, perfect advocate for you and your sins. You are permanently justified because you have one who is your advocate in heaven who has taken the record of wrongs that was against you and completely wiped those away. He's forgiven those. It's permanent. Not only is forgiveness permanent, but freedom is permanent as well. You know, if these kind of exciting things that Jesus did didn't really last, could he really guarantee that you'd stay free and wouldn't end up back in bondage to something that would ultimately harm you? Could he really guarantee that if you're a slave to sin well, your forecast is death. The wages of sin is death, physical death. That would be awful enough, but spiritual death is even another layer on that separated from God's suffering forever with no hope and no relief. And if Jesus like was alive one day, but it didn't, just didn't last. And what does any of that mean for our freedom going forward? But Jesus stands in victory, bondage and slavery to sin and death never return. Slavery has been overwritten, overturned. You are free. He's alive right now as a powerful liberator. You're not going back to slavery. That's not going to be your story. You're permanently free. And think about adoption. If, if Jesus wasn't actually alive and powerful, but if he was dead, could he really guarantee you a permanent place in God's family? You know, strange things happen when people pass away. Things get really, really strange, but his resurrection guarantees his ability to mediate forever your relationship with God. It's permanent. So permanently, he makes you God's child with all the privileges and responsibilities that come with that. The resurrection is definite, and so is your status as a daughter of God, a son of God because of Jesus. It's permanent. The rescue is permanent. If he were dead, could he really rescue? Or would you have to assume, well, he saved others, but apparently he couldn't save himself, so he may have rescued me once, but what is What if I get jammed up again and again and again and again? Can he come to my rescue? If he were dead, he couldn't. But because he's alive, even after dying, he has defeated every enemy that you could possibly think of. He's defeated this whole world system that is against him. He's defeated the flesh and all of its impulses. He's defeated sin and everything it wreaks havoc in in people's lives. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated death itself. He's alive. It's permanent. He's the conqueror. And think about just life itself. If he were dead, could he really give you life? Could he really? Could he really give you meaningful life now, meaningful life permanently? But because he's alive, what you watched even a few moments ago was a sign saying because he lives, because he lives, because he lives, because he lives. Or what we sang together a moment ago, forever he is glorified. Forever he is lifted high. Forever he is risen. You know, if Jesus', if Jesus resurrection wasn't permanent, if, if Jesus were dead, we would just treat him as we treat the amazing figures of history. So here's what we do. If Jesus weren't dead, we would just, ma- if Jesus weren't alive, we would make a memorial or a statue to him. We'd name some things after him We'd say, oh, this is, you know, St. Jesus. And we would name some things after him. If Jesus were dead, we would listen to what he taught us when he was alive and we would hear it and apply it. And we'd quote him a lot. If Jesus were dead, we'd, we'd try to follow his example. And my goodness, he set such an example of loving people. And if he were dead, we we would be inspired by his memory to do great things, maybe even take up his cause. But things are so different because he's alive. Because he's alive, we actually have a conversation with him. You could have one today. Because he's alive, we sing and praise, not the memory of him, but the reality of him. We say he is worthy, not was. Because he is alive, we are actually infused with his strength, not just a memory. We're infused with his strength right now to live for him by his strength. And we submit to his will presently. So this isn't just like a thought experiment of I wonder what Jesus would do if he were here and could tell us all about it. We don't even have to do that thought experiment. He leads and guides and he teaches and he's alive and it's all permanent. And I I I I really emphasize this permanence because we've been reminded how valuable permanence is because so much of what we thought always would be permanent. Things that we thought would never be taken away. Things that we always thought we'd count on, not in a million years could we imagine this being like this not happening, this not being the case. That all changed in a weekend. In a weekend. But he's alive. And so while a lot of things in our world were anything but permanent, it really, really matters that he and his resurrection are permanent. All this talk about resurrection of Jesus, all this talk of it being personal and permanent. It's made me think, it's made me think a lot because I've had, probably like you, I've had conversations with our you know, friends and our church family, even uh, our, my earthly family and We've talked a, a lot recently about, boy, I can't wait to see you face-to-face. I can't wait to see you face-to-face. And for me, that's over this weekend, it's been a reminder of another face-to-face meeting. There will come a day, I, I know, there'll come a day where God willing, I'm gonna see you face-to-face on this property. And that'll be a special day for all of us. But what about the other day? That because of the resurrection of Jesus, one day we will see Him face to face. It's hard for me me to even wrap my mind around that. But what a day that will be. It's personal and it's permanent. You know, in just a second, our band is going to come and they're going to sing a song to really close this Easter day out with a song, Amazing Grace. But before, before we sing, I have to mention something because for some of you this season, Maybe even this particular service has really landed on you. And maybe you can't explain it. But you need to talk to someone. You need to have someone pray for you. And maybe you're normally not the kind of person who would call a church or talk to a pastor. You know what, that's okay. I'm normally not the kind of person who stands in an an empty room and talks to a camera. It's just all different right now, right? But something is drawing you and you need to do something about it. So there is a connection card wherever you're watching this, there's a a connection card close by, a a digital one that you could fill out and you could tell us that you're here and you want to talk. And that would just make our day. We'd love to set that up. Or you can always email info at ogletown.org or you can initiate a conversation and we can get that set up. You've listened this far. So I, I really, really appreciate it more than probably more than you know. I appreciate you watching this far into the service. But why would you not just take one more step? What if reaching out could change your life? What, what if for you, things could get settled and you would have like firm foundation for your life going forward? Wouldn't it be worth it just to reach out? Even if it's a little bit into the unknown, wouldn't it be worth it for you to take that step? I don't know how to ask any other way, but I I am just gonna give you that invitation. Call on the name of the Lord. And you say, I don't even know how I do that. Then then let us know. We'd love to talk with you more about it. I'm actually, can I do this? Can I pray for you in this moment that the Lord might lead in your heart to do that very thing? Let me pray. Oh Lord, you know exactly who is watching this. You know when they're watching it. You know where they're watching it. And you know exactly how their whole life you've been drawing and speaking to them. And in this moment, maybe some some of those watching need to get clear on their personal relationship with you. And if they need to take a step to do that, Lord, make this happen. Give them just the courage to take that one step, even if they don't know the next 25. Lord, would you settle in our hearts for all of us, regardless of whether we'd identify ourselves before today as a Christian or not, would you settle in our hearts that the relationship you want is personal and the work you've done is permanent. So Lord, we praise you today on this Easter morning for your amazing grace. Amen.